you, Jeffrey and Van, for leading us in worship. It's always a wonderful time every week. And students, uh, can I thank you as well? I have to tell you that uh, when someone is baptized and you respond so enthusiastically, it blesses my heart. I've sat through a lot of baptisms in my life where nothing was said and what could be a better occasion than that. So thank you for that. So Pastor Drew's not here today. He's sick. So remember him in his prayers, in your prayers, and also remember his wife, because I hear he's kind of whiny when he's sick. So uh, think about poor Haley. And I want to talk to you today from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses uh, 3 and following. And Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter starts this uh, passage with this enthusiastic praising of God. If you'll notice there, that first sentence in verse three ends with an exclamation mark. So he's not droning on here. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that, that word blessed is a word of praise. It, it's not like when God blesses us because he adds something to us because we can't add anything to God, right? He is totally self-sufficient and perfect. Uh, it's just a way of saying praise God. And I think if you've got that nearly inspired version, it will say actually praise instead of blessed. And, uh, and, and it means to, uh, to be honored, to be praised, to be honored, that his name would be honored on earth. And so Peter praises God for our salvation. And there's three things about our salvation that he praises God for. So first of all, he says that God gave us this great salvation through his great mercy. So what does mercy mean? Mercy means not getting what you deserve, especially the harm or the punishment. Uh, so when I was a little boy, uh, my dad believed in spanking. And man, did that guy have a left hand. And, and, uh, and it was with a belt. And so, uh, and I didn't really act up a lot because I was really scared of the belt. But uh, when I did, a spanking would follow. And uh, not that it ever happened, but had he decided to give me a spanking and then decided he would not to, uh, that would have been him giving me mercy. He kind of believed in the rod more than the staff, but uh, <laughs> mercy is, is uh, not getting the punishment you deserve, really. Uh, and you know, God has the right to punish us. And my dad had the right to punish me. I don't want you to think I didn't believe in that in retrospect, but uh, not at the time. But God has the right to punish us, right? The Bible says that we have sinned against him. He says, 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have broken his laws, we've broken his commandments, and each and every one of us has done that. The most goody-two-shoes person among you has sinned. And because of that, you are deserving of punishment and death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, meaning what you earn from your sin, is death. And we know God's got the uh, power to punish. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, you get down to Revelation 20, which is meant to be a victory for us. But it's a very graphic picture of God defeating his enemies. He defeats Satan, and he defeats all of his enemies. And you know what he does with them? He puts them in this lake of fire and sulfur. So tremendous torment and punishment that God has the power and the right to do. <clears throat> but thankfully, and deserving of praise for us, God in his mercy has spared those of us who believe from the consequences of our sin because in his mercy, he sent his son Jesus who paid the penalty for those sins on the cross so that we would not have to. Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins. So God gives us mercy because of the work of Christ. Also, we know that if it comes as a matter of mercy, it doesn't come as a matter of our works. And it's always important to remember that you can't work your way into heaven. That St. Paul in the book of Romans says that by the works of the law, no human being will justify it in his sight. And let me just tell you, human nature doesn't like that. We all want to believe that uh, we can please God, that we are okay as we are. And you will hear a lot today, people say, well, God loves you just as you are. There's truth to that, but it doesn't mean God loves you just as you are forever. God changes you to be more like his son. So it's not like all the sins that you do don't matter because really at your heart, you're a good person. And I had somebody say that this week. Uh, I'm a good person. They just kill somebody. And so, but, but I'm a good person, okay? So our, our, our self-reflection is not necessarily valid a lot of the time. Uh, and we are worthy of God's judgment, but God has given us mercy he says here that in mercy, he caused us to be born again. God took the initiative to save us, and we can't take credit for it. You couldn't take credit for being born, and you can't take credit for being born again. The second thing Peter praises God for in our salvation is that we are born to a living hope. Now, that hope is not that you will live your best life now. There's a lot of teaching of that today but it doesn't really mean that you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Sometimes God grants us that. Sometimes he doesn't. The, none of the apostles that I know of left a last will and testament uh, with millions of dollars in their estate to their families. Uh, most of them died poor, destitute. They were executed. They were tortured. Uh, they suffered, but they had this living hope that made it worthwhile. So hope, as the New Testament uses it, it's not like you really use it today, especially maybe in, in pop music, or you, know, you hope your, your folks buy you a new car for graduation, or you hope 
that uh, that girl that you like will go out on a date with you, that she will say yes to going to the formal dance. Uh, we see hope today as a thing that's like a wish. But in, in the time of the New Testament, hope meant a certain knowledge that something good was gonna happen. And for us, it is that something great is gonna happen in the future. So great, in fact, that we can endure sufferings or disappointments today because we know what awaits us. So our hope is eternity with Jesus. That's what gets us through and that's what brings us joy. It is not that we are trusting God for a Mercedes. We are trusting God for eternal life. And so that hope comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure you've heard people say before, you know, in all other religions, their leaders died, they're in the ground and they're dead, and that is true. But Jesus Christ died for our sins, and again, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. So Jesus Christ is not in some tomb in Jerusalem or anywhere else. He is not in a grave where is he? He has been raised to the right hand of the Father. He is in heaven, enthroned, ruling, waiting for all enemies to be put to his feet and waiting for us to the time that the Father has decided that he will return again and he will take us to be with him. Just as he told his apostles, I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you and I'm gonna come and bring you to be with me where I am. So knowing that Jesus Christ is raised, we know that all who are in Christ also will be raised, uh, and, and that is we who believe in him. And because he has been raised, we believe that he has the authority and the power to raise us to be with him. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, for in him, for in Adam all die, uh, Adam being the first man who sinned, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, meaning he was the first to be raised. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. I was actually on the phone today with Cindy Jackson down there, not today, this week, and somehow we got to talking about that. I don't remember how we got to talking about that, but we talked about Jesus coming and how glorious that would be. What a great experience that would be. Now, you know, death is what most of us will face, and I'm kind of like you know, uh, Woody Allen on that. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And, and, and none of us really, you know, do want to be there when it happens. Uh, and we would rather be raised with Christ. So wouldn't it be glorious? I mean, maybe it'll happen here when I finish the sermon. <clears throat> and Jesus would appear and all the glorious angels with him and the dead in Christ would erupt from the graves, and then we would follow and be with him forever and eternity. Would that be a good Sunday? I mean, that'd be a great Sunday, but that is, that is the hope we have, whether we die and go to be with him now or we're alive at the second coming, we know that we will be raised and we will be with him. So our hope is a living hope because it is based on a living Savior. We're not following a dead philosopher or a dead writer or a dead system. Uh, we follow and believe in a risen Lord who is alive today. Uh, and because he is alive, he gives us hope that we will also be alive forever with him. In the book of Revelation, 
as it opens with this appearance of Jesus, Jesus says, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive evermore. So God is eternal. Jesus Christ is eternal. No beginning or end and lives forever. And so he is our living hope. Now third is this hope is uh, of eternal life is an inheritance, an inheritance that we receive in the future based on our relationship with God. Now you might be intending to inherit money uh, and, and you've probably all seen a movie or a TV show where the people are struggling economically and the, there used to be this show about that, that about millionaires and this guy would show up at the door and he would have a check for a million dollars and it would change people's lives. I'm not really thinking I'm gonna inherit any money. When anybody in my family dies, I go into hiding because uh, people are looking for them to pay their bills. Uh, but some people will inherit things and we have an inheritance in Christ. So we will inherit this eternal life because we have been born into his family and adopted into his family. And so we're God's children. You know, John 1.12, to all believe he gave the right to become children of God. And so as people that are in Christ as well, uh, we are co-heirs with Christ. So we are children of God. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. We call God the Father. Jesus told, him to, told us to address him as Father in the model prayer. And so we, along with Christ, will inherit eternity. So what's that look like? <clears throat> Well, we don't know <laughs> specifically. But the first thing we will probably inherit is uh, heaven. So most of us, and, and maybe not you young guys, but most of us are going to die in this physical body. And when that happens, our spirit is gonna go to heaven and we will begin to have our inheritance there in heaven with the Lord as we await the final resurrection. <clears throat> but heaven is not the end of things. Because at the end of the age, the book of Revelation shows us that God is going to change things. He says, behold, I make all things new. And so he's going to take the present heavens and earth, and they're going to be changed in a glorious fashion. And we, as believers in Christ, are going to inherit that. That whole thing will be ours. So we'll be living in this new earth and heavens. I have no idea what it's going to be like other than the picture of the new Jerusalem in the Revelation. But I do know that it's going to be glorious. What we also know is that Paul, uh, excuse me, that Peter tells us that our inheritance is kept for us in heaven. Uh, one of the debates in Protestant life is, can you lose your salvation? And Baptists have always stood on the ground of uh, we, we don't usually use the formal terms, but at least growing up, I would always hear, once saved, always saved. Okay, so God preserves the saints. Uh, we don't fall out of our salvation. There are people that believe you do. And there's several problems with that idea. One being it says that Jesus' work on the cross was not sufficient to save you from all of your sins, and we certainly don't believe that. But Peter gives us another reason here and that is that we ourselves don't keep our salvation. God keeps our salvation. And so our actions, our sin, 
uh, and it's bad, but it is not going to make us lose our salvation because the price has been paid for that. And God being righteous and just is not going to inflict punishment for sins twice. Once the penalty is paid, it is paid. And so we're not in control of that and we're not gonna lose it. A a, a famous preacher says, uh, if we could lose our salvation, we would definitely lose it. And I believe that to be true. I know some people believe in perfectionism. I don't think that's biblical. And certainly it's not testimonial for me. I have not managed to skate sinning. Do my best, but I sin. If I could keep my salvation uh, to myself, if I could lose it, I would lose it, as this preacher says. But not only do we not lose it, uh, it can't be diminished in any way. It can't be diminished by what you do or the time that it takes to get there. And, And Paul uses three words for this. He says it is imperishable. He says it's undefiled. And he says it is unfading. It's not three different types of salvation, but it's sort of three ways of saying the same thing, pointing out the same truth. All created things disintegrate. So have you ever gone to the refrigerator to get something you've had in there for a while and decide to cook it today? I had this unfortunate experience. We had a bag of broccoli that had been in there a while, and I decided I wanted to cook it. So I got it out and I pulled it out of the bag and it was disgusting. Right? It was, there was this liquid. So I guess everything turns to liquid at some point and, and it was brown and I couldn't figure any way I could cover that up with gravy being broccoli. So, you know, I had to throw it out. So it, it was perishable, right? It, it was perishing on me and, and that's what perishable means. It, things disintegrate. Uh, We even use that term for food. We have perishables that you buy, and you have things that are not perishable, which I think is only Vienna sausages and Twinkies. And they'll be here, you know, no matter what happens. Uh, So God says he keeps our salvation imperishable. It does not die. It does not disintegrate. It does not rot. Um, Secondly, it's undefiled. You probably don't use that term defiled very often, but it means when something is sacred or holy and it comes into something corrupt, it becomes corrupted itself and is defiled. So, for example, in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of rules that kept you ceremonially clean. So, for example, you could not touch a dead body, and if you did, you were unclean. Well, if you're unclean, you can't go into the tabernacle or you can't go into the temple. Why? Well, you're unclean and you would defile that holy spot if you went there. So our eternal life is holy and sacred and held by God, but it can't be defiled. Satan can't defile it. You can't defile it. Nobody can defile it. It stays undefiled. And thirdly, it says unfaded. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you if you're under the age of about 50. Uh, But when I was a kid back in the dark ages, uh, clothes would fade when you washed them. And especially your blue jeans. And living in West Texas, 
we wore blue jeans to school and we didn't call them dungarees, they were blue jeans. And so you got them and they were dark blue and they were kind of stiff. And they were usually too long for you also and you had to roll them up on the bottom so you could grow into them. But you'd put them in the washer and after a few washings, you know what would happen? Well, they'd get lighter and lighter. And that's why you separated, by the way, for college students in particular, you separated your colors from your whites or all your undies were gonna come out light blue. Uh, and, and, you know, the same way with towels, I think when we got married first, uh, my wife washed my underwear with some red towels and I had the ignominy of going to school with pink underwear. So uh, fading uh, and things can fade away on you, but your salvation doesn't fade away. So the point being that no matter how long you live, uh, your salvation and your eternal life will remain the same. It will be as beautiful and as glorious the day you go to heaven as it was the day you were saved. And no matter how long this age lasts and the age to come, things will be perfect and beautiful just as if they ended the day that Jesus uh, went to heaven. Uh, None of that will change. And it's all because God is eternal and he is all powerful and he keeps our salvation for us. So Paul, um, he also tells us that uh, our salvation won't be fully realized until we get to heaven. Peter says uh, that when we get to heaven, we get the full measure of our salvation. So you you are saved today and full from your sins. But what you will receive, uh, we don't know yet how that will look. And, and Paul himself described that. He says, no eye is seen or ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So this living hope and this inheritance, uh, Peter says it should cause us, or it does cause us to rejoice. The people he wrote the letter to were rejoicing. Now, what does rejoice mean? It means to feel and express great joy and delight. So there's this video that you can watch. Uh, I guess it's on, I don't know, it pops up on my Facebook. Yes, old people look at Facebook. And, And it's this little toddler kid, and he loves the garbage truck and the garbage man. And so his mom takes him outside on garbage day, and... When he hears the truck, he, he begins to dance and wave his hands. And when he sees the truck, he starts waving and he's making all these excited noises. That, my friends, is rejoicing. Now, he's rejoicing in the garbage truck. But if he can do that, you should be able to rejoice in eternal life and in your salvation, right? Uh, but it's a cute picture. You should watch it. But your salvation should cause you to experience joy, delight, rejoicing, uh, and that doesn't, isn't affected by what goes on today. We're all going to experience bad times. I've had bad times. You're going to have bad times. I hope they're not terrible times, but there will be difficult times. You still rejoice. And, And Peter even says, even though you're grieved by various trials, Uh, It shows the genuineness of your faith as you're tested and you rejoice. Now, those guys did experience that. We haven't uh, 
done what they had to do. They had uh, property confiscated. They were put in jail at times. They were beaten at times. They were certainly, if they were Jewish, they were ostracized from their friends and family uh, because they had accepted Christ. So it's pretty easy to have faith when things are going really well. And I have met people that when they were making a lot of money and everything was great, they were great. They were here in the pews and talking about how great God was and then something bad happened and they disappear on us. Uh, and that tells me they didn't have that joy of salvation that we're supposed to have. <clears throat> so the true test of faith is enduring to the end. And the joy that we have in our salvation is what gets us through that. Peter also says that it brings praise and glory and honor when Jesus returns. And I believe that means for us. He returns in glory and in honor, and we share that glory because we have been faithful to him and we'll reap the reward of eternal life. <clears throat> and we you know when you get down to it, you know, we're sort of bound by finite time, and the younger you are, the slower time feels. <clears throat> and that's why they call it being over the hill, because you run faster <laughs> going downhill. And my mother used to always tell me that, and now I know it to be true. The days go by fast. Uh, but whatever suffering you have in this life, and maybe it's just disappointments, uh, maybe it's economic setbacks, maybe it's losing friends, maybe it's real persecution. It's going to be short compared to eternity, which stretches on forever. Now, it's kind of funny. There's a personal note in here at the end when Peter <coughs> talks about the people. Now, Peter was with Christ, right? He, was, uh, he and his brother were the first disciples that were called. He knew Jesus intimately. Uh, he traveled with him, listened to him talk. Uh, had an affectionate bond between them. He saw Jesus transfigured on the mount. Uh, he saw the resurrected Christ after going to the turmoil of the death of Christ. He saw in person, in the flesh, the resurrected Christ. And he knows his readers did not do that, just like we do not do that. And so he kind of has this marveling going on. He, he marvels at them, and he's, he says, you know, even though you didn't see him, you love him, and you believe in him. And you rejoice with this inexpressible, glorious joy. He's, he's thrilled to see this from them. I don't know if you'd had that same feeling in a Baptist church, but, you know, that should be the tenor. And, and again, that's one thing I love about you students when somebody is baptized. And uh, not everybody understands. I know having this tank down here, I get questions from <clears throat> some of our members at times. Why do we do that? And so, well, we do that so that everybody participates in it and, and we're all together in this and we see it and then you guys erupt and you yell and you clap and, and it's that inexpressible joy that this person is coming to the kingdom uh, and now you're celebrating their salvation just like we should celebrate our own so we're in the we're in the same boat as peter's readers we have not seen christ in person and won't until we get to heaven but we love him and he's been revealed to us by the writings of the apostles. The Holy Spirit has led us to him. We have eternal life through him. And there should be joy that comes in there. There should be rejoicing. 
So let me end this today by calling you to rejoice. <clears throat> you don't feel the joy. Maybe today's the day to repent of that and ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit that you might feel that joy. We really weren't meant as believers to walk around sad-faced uh, and, and like we're enduring, you know, and, and I know listening to sermons isn't always the greatest, but uh, uh, we don't just endure, you know, we conquer, we experience joy. And so today I wanna call you to joy if you're a believer and to get that in your heart. But the joy only comes to those that are in Christ uh, as he fills them up with that. And so if you're here today uh, and you've not placed your life with Christ, I would like to call you to him today to, to believe, to repent of sin, to believe that he is the son of God, that he died for your sins and rose again. And you will receive this eternal life, this inheritance, this living hope. You will have Jesus dwelling with you. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And all of that should bring you joy. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word today. And, and Father, I know that we fall short of what you intend for us and what you give us. And we ask your forgiveness for that today. And we ask that we'd be filled with your spirit that we would indeed experience the joy of being saved, knowing that eternity stretches before us is a glorious golden path where we will enjoy communion with each other and even more so with you. And Father, I pray today that you would send your spirit to convict all those that don't know Jesus and draw him to yourself today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.